What's up, everybody? How's it going? Anthony Cazenza here with the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast and from CincyJungle.com back to talk about a Bengals win. Uh, my apologies for those expecting a post-game show yesterday evening. It just kind of got a little late. Didn't know how many people were going to be up for the live recording. Obviously, with the holidays around, got had some other stuff to tend to as well, but wanted to kind of do what we did last week where we jammed in the happening headlines along with kind of a, some post-game thoughts, a recap of the game. Not the prettiest affairs by the Cincinnati Bengals, but they get the job done on the road, grab a much-needed win, and temporarily hang on to the AFC North lead with a 15-10 to win over the Denver Broncos. There were some moments in that game that were absolutely bonkers. There were moments in that game that were incredibly frustrating to watch. There were moments in that game that uh, made you wonder at times how good either one of these teams really are. And there are times that, you know, really just kind of also exemplified December football, maybe by teams that are actually pretty good and uh, have sporting some good defenses. We'll talk about all kinds of different things, especially as we go over the tail of the tape, as we usually do in the, the post-game wrap. And then we're going to transition into all kinds of different headlines with the Cincinnati Bengals within the AFC North and, of course, around the NFL. Got a lot to get to. We're going to try and jam it all in here. Again, I'm Anthony Cazenza. Happy to have all of you with us, whether you're tuning in live through Cincy Jungle's Facebook page, our YouTube channel. You can subscribe to that right down here. There's a little icon down there. You can click that to be notified when we go live and subscribe to the channel. We're, we're almost at a milestone subscriber on the YouTube channel number, so be sure to do that. We've got a lot of cool things coming. We do fantasy football. We do our deep dive show, John Shearer and myself, listener questions. We do this post-game show, and we do happening headlines. Usually we split those up, but with the games being later the past couple of weeks, it just kind of made a little more sense to maybe squeeze them together. On a, on a Monday instead of splitting them up. And then, of course, we've got some all kinds of different stuff coming up for the offseason. We're not talking about the offseason yet because the Bengals are right in the thick of the playoff race. And, of course, I, I didn't mention this, but if you like the audio versions of this show and the others on the Cincy Jungle podcast channel, you got you to subscribe to your favorite audio streamer. We can get this show, Orange the New Black, from Ace and Zim, as well as Coach Speak and Chalk Talk from Matt Minnick. These guys do all kinds of great work, so go check out their shows as well. Let's get to some of the stuff, and there is a major, major talking point. I am seeing it on Twitter, Twitter lines in the sand being drawn, centering around some of the approaches or lack thereof <laughs> in this game with, with Zach Taylor and the offense. We will definitely talk about that. I'm already seeing a lot of comments in the live in the live chats here about play calling and all kinds of different things. So at any rate, here here's the game, uh the game itself here. We're going to go to ESPN. I like this box score layout. I, I usually like to do that. I noticed that my boy Ace in his in-game streams that he does, he uses ESPN's I think kind of play-by-play deal. Um so I'm not the only one who prefers the ESPN model here, I guess. Whatever. Here's here we are at the uh, the individual stats here. Joe Burrow, you look at it and you go, okay, 157 yards, but efficient, efficient day. 20, a 15 of 22. Um, so you know, again, did was not asked to throw the football a ton. The Bengals really wanted to try and establish the run. They did and they didn't, and we'll talk about that in just a second. But Burrow, not his best day, but a turnover-free day and still hovering around 70% completion rate. And of course, the sacks were a little bit less this week, three as opposed to five. I mean, it's kind of the small victories there. And 103.8 rating, 103.8 rating for Joe Burrow on a day wherein he only threw one for 157, had the big touchdown to Boyd and uh, goes there. Let's You look at the other side, Bridgewater, 12 of 22, a pedestrian day here, pretty scary. Um, moment there he left the game with an injury we'll talk more about that later too he appears to be have left the hospital and he appears to be okay had kind of went underwent some massive concussion protocol carted off the field on a on a stretcher and all kinds of stuff so 
Um, that was a big yikes, but uh, 98 yards passing on 12 completions for him, just over 50% completion rate, a four and a half yard uh, per completion rate for Teddy and a 66.1 rating. Drew Locke came in and started uh, winging the ball around the field a little bit, only 50% completion rate, six of 12, 88 yards, a 7.3 yards per completion rate for him, had the one touchdown to Tim Patrick, where he just basically outmuscled Trey Waynes on the play. At first blush, that looked like offensive pass interference, and really it just kind of was not. He just kind of boxed him out a little bit and positioned himself correctly, made the right play. So um, that's that was kind of Drew Locke's day. And then, of course, the Bengals had three sacks of their own between those two quarterbacks, and Locke had the costly and weird, <laughs> weird play, the fumble by Khalid Kareem uh, on Sunday. So... That's the tale of the quarterbacks here. Here's here's where the Bengals were trying to impose their will. And oddly enough, their star running back was the one who did not have the big day. 17 carries, 58 yards, a pedestrian 3.4 yard per carry average for Joe Mixon, but gutted out a tough performance. He had an ankle injury. He also had some kind of weird padding or not quite a brace, but something on his knee. So I don't know if there's a, a multitude of injury was, was hobbling late. Samaje P. Ryan did get four carries for 30 yards, had a great 22-yard scamper. Um, and then Joe Burrow, I think at least three of his five carries went for first downs, big first downs. When, when the plays weren't there, guys were covered, things were breaking down, and Burrow was able to use his legs and, and make a couple of first down conversions there. So five carries, 25 yards for him. Nothing crazy. I mean, the long run for him was eight yards, but uh, that's that was kind of the, the tale there. Little concerning on the on the rushing front for Denver against the Cincinnati defense. Now the Bengals held the the Broncos to 159 yards through the air between Bridgewater and Locke, and that's accounting for the yardage lost, the 27 yards lost on sacks between the two two guys. But if you notice, this was something that concerned me when Denver was running the ball on early downs, they were getting four yards, five yards, six yards on that opening down often. Uh, and so that was a little concerning. And they, you know, it was actually a pretty solid game plan by Denver to get them close to the sticks in the later downs. And it, it was kind of working for them a little bit. You know, Gordon and Javante Williams were getting those. Uh, Javante Williams was particularly impressive. Um, but they were getting that that first you know, four yards, five yards on that opening down. Now it didn't always work out for them on second down when they tried to run again, or maybe third down, but um, they were putting themselves in good position after first down when they tried to run the ball to Denver, I thought, uh, more often than not. And then you saw a couple of runs, three for 10 from Teddy. And obviously the final run is the one where he got a first down, but he unfortunately was injured as well. Just a freak play, dove up in the air, uh, kind of got hit a little bit by a couple Bengals defenders and, you know, as he came down, kind of landed on his arm and head and then uh, exited the game, but does seem to be okay uh, at this point based on reports. We'll talk more about that. Then you go down here, Tyler Boyd with the touchdown. Now I have to beat my chest a little bit here because after Mixon, you see Joe Mixon's long run, that 12 yarder. After Mixon hit that 12 yarder on, it was a first down. I said to myself, and I said out loud to the people I was watching the game with, I said, watch, because that play right there sets up play action beautifully. The Bengals were running er on early downs, not to great success, but they were running and committing to running the football on early downs and drives, on first downs and drives. And lo and behold, right after Mixon pops that 12-yarder uh, at the end of the third quarter slash fourth quarter-ish, and we'll, we'll look at the drive summary in a little bit, um, but right then I said, watch, this is a great time for play action. And lo and behold, the very next play is a play action and it goes to Tyler Boyd. Boyd makes a nifty move in the open field. He was wide open, um, but then makes a nifty move in, in the open field on a defender and takes it all the way to the house first 56 yarder. Just really, when you look at the play calling and I know there's some complaints about that. I'm seeing the the live chats and stuff. And I know we've got a lot to talk about in terms of what the Bengals did on their final drives of this game. But when you look at that setup, it, it worked masterfully, in my opinion, because the Bengals pounded the football on the ground on early downs and on first down often, often, often. 
They finally got a, a good chunk yardage. And so what does that tell a, a defense? They're going to say, hey, they're going to go right back to that. They just got a nice gain on first down. They're going to try it again with Mixon. They're going to go right back to it. And they set up the play action. It's kind of akin to, if you go back to week one in overtime, that fourth and inches, fourth and one, everybody and their mother thought that they were going to be running the football in that play. And instead they, they switched the play and do a play action to Uzama to set up the game winning field goal. So I, I, I just knew at that point that that was going to set up a very good play action situation for the Bengals, even though the run game had not been that successful with, with mixing on early downs. Um, but the Bengals still got 113 yards and a 4.3 yard per carry average on the ground yesterday. The uh, Denver game, the Denver running backs and and uh, quarterbacks accounted for 133 yards, 3.9 yards per carry, but uh, did get quite a bit of yardage on the ground. And like I said, some of that, or a good chunk of that rather, seemed to be on the on the early downs and on first downs. Tyler Boyd, five catches, 96 yards, a touchdown. Uh, really quiet day from the other wide receivers. T Higgins coming off of three straight 100 yard games, two catches, 23 yards did have a nice 17 yarder early in the game. Jamar chase one catch, three yards. Wow. Boyd, his five catches on six targets aside from the touchdown, he had a gigantic one right before the half to set up the record setting field goal by Evan McPherson. Just a couple of really, really nice plays by Tyler Boyd, and he was the hero on this one. Uh, C.J. Uzama, three catches, 18 yards. P. Ryan, a couple of catches. I mean, just not much there other than Tyler Boyd. You look at Denver, here's another problem, especially when you see Mark Andrews coming next week, when you face Travis Kelsey the following week, and you've got some decent tight ends in Cleveland. Two leading receivers, Albert O. and Noah Fant, two tight ends. Three catches for Albert O, three catches for 58 yards. Noah Fant, five catches, 57 yards. The Bengals still have trouble guarding talented and athletic tight ends, as do much of the league. But still, this just seems to be a particular, it seems to particularly be a Bengals problem. Uh, so they need to do, they need to figure that out. They did an outstanding job on the running backs and talented wideouts for Denver. Jerry Judy. Goose eggs didn't help my fantasy team at all, but whatever. Goose eggs for Jerry Judy. That's a big win for the Bengals. Tim Patrick had a, a decent day, had the big touchdown, the 25-yarder. The but other than that, uh, three catches, 42 yards. Um, so it was really the tight ends that were doing the damage there for uh, Denver. That's that's kind of the, the story there. Khalid Kareem had the only turnover of the game by either team and it ended up being a biggie because the Bengals were up 15 to 10 at that point. Denver was deep into scoring territory and he just snatched that ball right out of Drew Locke's hand on a, on a run there and took it. Now it almost ended up being a disaster where Denver got the ball back, but and this is where I, I initially I felt like, Hey, this is maybe a gift call that they called Kareem down. But if you go back and look, uh, and for copyright purposes, I don't have the video for you, unfortunately, because YouTube and the NFL don't want me showing that. But at any rate, if you go back and look at the play after Kareem rips the ball out, Locke kind of grabs him a little bit. But then there's an additional it, the, the initial camera angle didn't show it when they showed a reverse angle. There's an additional hand of Drew Locke that was blocked from the initial camera angle that touches Kareem. And then he kind of falls to the ground there. So there was a second late touch by Drew Locke that, uh, and it happened right before Khalid Kareem fell down the first time. And then he got back up. It was close. It's close, but uh, it was a call that ended up going the Bengals way. Bengals didn't score on that turnover, but they at least made that a three to seven point swing based on what Denver was going to do on that drive. And of course, seeing as how the game ended and how Denver was forced to go for the, go for the touchdown for the win instead of a field goal, uh, big deal, big deal. And obviously your approach changes there. Jermaine Pratt, what a game by Jermaine Pratt. Holy moly, 15 total tackles, nine of them solo, a half sack, a quarterback hit. I, Guy is just playing out of his mind and is doing so without Logan Wilson, without Akeem Davis Gaither, Without uh, Joe Bocci left the game uh, as well yesterday. I mean, he's kind of doing it on his own in that in that uh, 
in that linebacker group with the exception of look at this one down here a couple of names down marcus bailey nice game by marcus bailey friend of the show uh came came on the program after he was drafted go check out that interview but my lord five tackles a half sack for him that he split with pratt a pass defended uh good game by him coming in in relief duty uh he, he seemed to be very aware of what was going on and uh played well played well good for marcus bailey filling in at linebacker there that's what you want next guy up von bell six total tackles uh you know nothing nothing of the outstanding variety from von bell he also briefly left the game uh, i think he went out on a third down late in the game joe bocce six tackles uh dj reader playing outstanding football again as the nose tackle uh, five total tackles, one of them for loss. Great game by him. Jesse Bates, five tackles. B.J. Hill did have the bonehead offsides penalty late that almost could have uh, really hurt the Bengals there, but had five total tackles. Mike Hilton, four four total tackles. Uh, you'll see here he was one of the better PFF scorers of the day. Larry Ogunjobi, oh my goodness, four tackles, a, a one and a half sacks. Uh, two quarterback hits, just just playing really, really well. Trey Hendrickson extends that sack streak with a half sack, three total tackles, two quarterback hits. He was pressured. Uh, he was pressuring their quarterbacks often. He also, I think, netted two holding penalties in this game. Dude was everywhere. He was awesome. Trey Wayne's rough day for him. Two total tackles, missed a big tackle for loss opportunity late in the game, and of course was in coverage on the Patrick touchdown there. First game back. I know, I know where patience is wearing thin with Waynes, but uh, first game back and extended since like week four, you know, give him a little time. I, I know we've given him a lot of time, but give him a little time to readjust and, and hopefully he'll come back in and play uh, much more solid football there. Khalid Kareem had had an outstanding day on limited and he left the, the game early too. had an outstanding day in limited snaps uh, tackle for loss had a pressure on the quarterback. So he had a tackle for loss on a run pressure on the quarterback. And then he had the quarterback hit and wherein he, uh, snagged, uh, snagged the ball away from drew lock. So good get, good, uh, day from Khalid Kareem, Josh Tupo, another one of those defensive tackles that got the game ball from, uh, Zach Taylor there. The group of defensive linemen got the game ball. Eli Apple played, Quietly well, two passes defended, a tackle for loss, only one tackle, but uh, he was in coverage quite often on Jerry Judy, and he let you know about it on Twitter. If you found, if you follow him on Twitter, he let people know about it, rightfully so. Guy's playing the best football, arguably, of his of his pro career here. So you got to like that. Sam Hubbard, quiet day, just one tackle. Um, so, But the Bengals put it together. They did a lot of stuff. The interior of the defensive line was key, and, of course, Hendrickson on the edge. Tyler Boyd coming up big. That's kind of what uh, what was the tail of the tape there. Now, if we go to play by play, um, and if we if we look at the drive summary here, um, there this is where a lot of folks are having some gripes. I think um, not only the sluggish start, and we talked about John and I talked about this on Listener Questions Live last Friday. It, it could be a number of different things. Um, and I, I think they did note something on the telecast he, uh, this, this week here. So there's a couple of different th things. Number one, you look at, um, you look at the fact that, you know, the Bengals may be playing a little bit of offensive chess, so to speak, where they're kind of feeling out what the defense is doing and all, all sorts of things. Um, and that has, and, you know, later on they dictate, their game plan later to be able to see when they want to strike. And I think if you look at the, the run plays on first down and that play action pass to Tyler Boyd late in the game and how that was set up, I think that kind of plays to that a little bit. But I also think if you listen to the telecast, you know, Zach Taylor and, and the rest on the offensive side of the ball talked about how, you know, the last couple of weeks they've been behind. And so they've had to scrap the game plan, make a new game plan, do, do things differently than they normally would have done uh, because they were down on the scoreboard. But you look at here and uh, they have take the handoff and ran. There's uh, I think that's Dan Horde. there talking. Uh, you look here, you have punt, field goal, punt, punt, field goal, punt, punt, field goal. 
Uh, yikes. And the two field goals that they had, one of which, and by the way, I, I was remiss not talking about uh, special teams plays, and I'll get back and, and talk about Evan McPherson in just a second because we've got a specific headline for him too. But it's also worth noting that the two field goals that the Bengals did get in the first half were huge, one of which is a team record, a 58-yarder. So they weren't moving the ball even on scoring drives. Concerning. The other, the other issue, when you go into the end of the game, the Bengals have the ball here with three minutes and 40 it's seconds left. And so you look at scrambling left. Teddy will take off and run. You look at that. And as we look at this, first and 10 with 340 left. Mixon gets four yards. Joe Burrow, this was a play. I, I think this the second and six was the play where uh he kind of ran a little bit, sacked for four yards. He kind of ran a little bit and then just kind of gave himself up because nothing was open. Really weird play on that one. Then third and ten after the loss on the sack. Uh nice play to Boyd for 15 yards. A big play to extend the drive and chew more clock. Then you've got a first down mix in. You know, they're just letting Denver burn their timeouts here. Uh, P. Ryan for a yard. Then you've got the two-minute warning. Bengals called a timeout after the two-minute warning uh, just to get things set. Third and eight. Again, P. Ryan for three yards, and then you punt the ball. Here's the thing. I understand why people are upset about this approach with – how things played out last week and you felt that Zach Taylor maybe took the football out of the hands of Joe Burrow when he was hot and the offense was clicking and the Bengals had an opportunity to go for the throat against the 49ers. I understand that. And this looks from a bird's eye view, this looks pretty similar and I still am not 100% sold necessarily on what I'm about to say, but there are some things on the flip side here that are different than the 49ers situation, the Bengals offense was, was clearly not in a rhythm most of the day, running the football or passing the football. And if you looked at the stats, that tells you that. They needed Denver to burn their timeouts because Denver needed a touchdown, not a field goal. The Bengals defense was doing a lot in terms of stopping Denver getting after the quarterback and pressuring the quarterbacks, sacking them. And, you know, later on you're facing a backup quarterback. I know Drew Locke would be considered one of the best backup quarterback options you could have in the NFL, but you're facing a backup quarterback. You want them to burn your timeouts. Your defense is playing a lot better. And, you know, you, you have, you kind of have some faith there in, in what your defense is doing and your offense was not clicking. So I think there's a myriad of factors at play here that, that, kind of get you into the mindset of Zach Taylor and the Bengals. And then when they, when they punt it, by the way, Kevin Huber punts it 51 yards uh, to the Denver 25. And of course they get the penalty on that. Um, and, and so now they're starting at their own 15. Um, now Zach Taylor isn't psychic. He didn't know there was going to be an extra 10 yard holding penalty there, but it's also not, um, it's not like you're giving them immediately great field position and punting the ball away. You, you, you know, you're feeling pretty good about how your punter had been playing as well that day and, and pinning them deep. So all of these come into play. And I think that's where the mindset is now. Do I necessarily 100% like that approach personally? Not really. Uh, I, I really question that one play. I, I know you wanted it to be certain that there would be an open pass, an open receiver, for Joe Burrow there on the one where he kind of slid and gave himself up. Uh, and with that as well, you don't want him throwing the ball away either because that stops the clock and saves Denver a timeout. So uh, there's a lot of different things to sort through here. I don't think it was the perfect way to handle the situation here, but I think when you look at how the game was playing out, I think you can see what Zach Taylor was potentially thinking in going real conservative at the end yet again, instead of relying on Joe Burrow. And Joe Burrow made a few very nice plays, 
the offensive line was was not holding up all that great throughout the day. Um, so that's another issue. If you want him dropping back and winging things around the field, I mean, that's another issue you got to think about. Um, so here, th- that's kind of all the, the myriad of situations that go into this sort of ending to the game. And then, of course, at the end, uh, I, I, I wanted to talk about this. The the Bengals special teamers played really well. McPherson, in particular, uh, had a great, great day. Hey, Trent Taylor um, did his thing on punt returns and kick returns, had a long of 12, uh, three returns, 12 yards, had a long of 12, hung on to the ball, had a 23-yard return. Um, so, you know, kudos to him and, and coming to the rescue after what happened last week. And then you've got McPherson, a perfect day, three of three on field goals, um, did not attempt an extra point. The Bengals went for two there, but, um, great, great day by Evan McPherson accounting for nine huge points. And that one at the end of halftime, wherein Denver misses a field goal. They give Cincinnati good field position. Burrow throws the ball to Boyd, uh, that that nice one across the middle, sets up the long field goal, six-point swing to end the half there. So that is uh, that is what I, – I, that was a big point in the game, big point in the game, the six-point swing at the end of the game. So um, at, at any rate, that's a little bit of the tail of the tape as it goes with the game, what happened in it, and how the Cincinnati Bengals got to be on top. I, I'm – I don't know. I'm looking through the the uh, some of the live chat comments here. I don't know. There's still seemingly a, a dividing line in the sand in terms of how that game was handled at the end of the game. There, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring up one other thing here that tells you a little bit as to number one why Jamar Chase wasn't a bigger factor in this game, but also plays into why the Bengals maybe were conservative at the end here. And this is a quote. I believe it's relayed, yeah, from uh, our buddy Charlie Goldsmith, who was on our program last week. Our our good luck charm there, Charlie. Uh, Here's a tweet from him. Jamar Chase on the Broncos defense. This was as of just before we took the air today. Uh, That quote, that was one of the best zone teams we played all year. They had great communication. They were in quarters or three buzz clouding one side, usually his side. The Bengals did try and move chase in the slot every once in a while but he was he was bracketed um quote it was a little bit of everything they played a man maybe twice so uh you know an interesting and an an effective pass defense strategy used by the broncos that frustrated the Bengals all day and frustrated chase all day so I, i that plays into also the mindset of zach taylor and the approach at the end of the game and, and why the Bengals went conservative and why they felt that maybe the passing passing game, which was not clicking, um, did not, uh, you know, was it was not going to warrant them throwing the ball down the field again. Burrow had taken a few sacks and, and other other things. So, um, again, I, I don't say I 100% back the approach necessarily, but I can understand it when you lay out the laundry list of situations and issues that were happening in the game. Uh, that that made Zach kind of say, "Hey, this is the better of of two difficult decisions." I guess um, it, it, maybe that was just the mindset. But uh, yeah, and then you know, I see this. This is, and by the way, if you uh, if you are so inclined, I believe we do have super chats on YouTube. So uh, go ahead and check that out if you would. But Brandon Hudayer eighty five, we were not giving the ball back to Rogers or Brady at the end. Sorry, Locke doesn't scare me with a minute left and no timeouts. Yes. And I think that that's also part of it that goes into it, wherein, you know, if, if we're if we're talking Mahomes or Brady or whatever, where it's Rogers, where, uh, you know, that that's going to be an issue, then yeah, we're probably maybe talking a little about a little bit of a different strategy there. Maybe we can go back and debate based on what happened at the end of that Green Bay game and obviously what will happen against the Chiefs here. We'll see. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Um, anyway, let's, uh, let's keep rolling here. This is a quote, and we're going to transition into happening headlines here, by the way, as we get, uh, as we get into or get out of the postgame wrap. Zach Taylor said this, I believe it was in the postgame talk. Zach Taylor believes the Bengals defense, quote, sent the league a message following the win in Denver. And this is, of course, on CincyJungle.com. I will pin the link in the live chats here. So you can have that. But here is Zach Taylor believes the Bengals defense quote sent the league a message. Um, and so when, and, and again, this kind of backs a little bit of why he went the way he did with the strategy at the end of the game. Uh, quote, that's our team. Everyone steps up. The defense sent the league a message today. Um, and obviously he gave game balls to Khalid Kareem individually, the defensive, the interior defensive line group as, as a group there. So, uh, and then of course McPherson. So defense and special teams were the, were the, the big winners in this one and the big reasons why the Bengals won this one. So, um, and that defense is going to need to continue to play well as they, some, you know, the Ravens on offense are doing some surprising things under Tyler Huntley. He's playing well. I think he had four total touchdowns, two through the air, two on the ground yesterday against the Packers. Um, so he is now a legitimate weapon in that offense. We don't know the status of Lamar Jackson, but uh, Huntley's running that offense to perfection and played well, uh, you know, in the against the Browns. And um, I think, that Lamar maybe missed a game earlier this year and uh, he had to, I think it was maybe the bears he came in and played and when they won that game. So, you know, Huntley's becoming a little bit of a threat and a little bit of a, a scary player to, to defend if you are an opposing defense uh, here is the snap counts. And the, probably the most interesting look here is where Trey Wayne's lands on this one. Um, because first game back, but pressed into action. That's the other thing. I think also Wayne's maybe not in quote unquote game shape. Don't want to make excuses for him. Um, the, but the Bengals um, were without a couple of corners, including a And so that really put Wayne's into a high profile role. Obviously they want him to be in that high profile role, the contract he he signed but with him being out for weeks and weeks you know you kind of felt they would maybe ease him in a little bit but they weren't able to really do that uh hilton playing 77 percent of the snaps uh trey flowers getting in there after some struggles from wayne's eight snaps 11 on 11 on defense wayne still played 92 percent of the snaps he was out there a lot uh had two big miscues one against the run and one against the pass but um, I mean, 10 points is 10 points, right? Given up. Eli Apple playing 100% of the snaps. Hargraves, as I mentioned, was the guy that was out. Hendrickson playing 77% of the snaps, yet is just still remaining effective. Cam Sample in there for 20% of the snaps. Hubbard in there for 91%. Um, and then you, you look at the defensive line here. They just, you know, Khalid Kareem, 13 snaps. DJ Reader, 44 snaps. Ogunjobi, 50 snaps. Tupo, 22 snaps. BJ Hill, 44 snaps. Um, so they're they're mixing and matching those guys, and they are playing well. Joe Bocci, 37% of the snaps and left the game with a knee injury. Marcus Bailey, 45% of the snaps with the uh, Bocci injury. Uh, so he was filling in there. Jackson Carmen comes in and uh, did some nice things yesterday, at least per PFF, 62% of the 62% of the snaps there at guard. Quentin Spain, 100%. Carmen came in for Adenogy, 38% of the snaps. Uh, Jonah Williams playing 100%. Fred Johnson, 100%. Uh, he was not tasked necessarily with Bradley Chubb, um, so his, jo his job was a little bit easier than that of Jonah Williams, but um, Fred Johnson held his own a bit 
there. Joe Mixon, 58% of the snaps. P. Ryan, 30%. Evans, 11%. Uh, wondering if Evans is going to get more snaps now that Mixon uh, appears to be dinged up. Ricardo Allen getting 24% of the snaps. Von Bell, 93%. Jesse Bates, 100%. So they were mixing in Ricardo Allen a little bit more on this one. CJ Uzama, 79%. Drew Sample, by the way, Speaking of Chubb and Drew Sample, oh my goodness, that missed call or non-call at the beginning of the game, Drew Sample gets a catch, gets tackled. The guy takes about, the guy meaning Bradley Chubb, takes about three or four steps and launches himself at Sample. Ref is right there. Not only do they swallow the flag, but the flag that was thrown wasn't even for that play. They thought he might have been horse collar tackled and he was not. I, I don't know. There was some really, really questionable officiating in this game. Yeah, uh, and I think we would be complaining about that quite a bit more had the result been different. Tyler Boyd, 87% of the snaps. Jamar Chase, 96%. T. Higgins, 87%. Stanley Morgan in there a little bit. So that is the snap counts for the Cincinnati Bengals in this one. Um, I mentioned some PFF scores. Check this one out. The top five performers of the day. By PFF Cincinnati Bengals at PFF underscore Bengals. Highest graded Bengals in week 15 with a minimum of 20, 25 snaps. Mike Hilton had a couple of uh, nice plays there. Did Mike Hilton 83.5, your highest graded player of the day. Fred Johnson, it says offensive guard. They, they corrected it to tackle in a later tweet. Fred Johnson, number two, number two graded Bengal by PFF standards with an 82.8 overall score. Joe Burrow, 78.8. DJ Reader continuously landing in that top five, 74.6. And Tyler Boyd is 74.1 on that one. The, the one miscue by Boyd was that, uh, I mean, it was a tough ball. We've just kind of been spoiled by, by 83, but uh, the, the little bit of a drop or jostling away of the two-point conversion. But those are your top five. PFF scorers for the Cincinnati Bengals against the Denver Broncos mentioned this one. Uh, so we don't need to belabor the point here, but we've got a couple of, of uh, record holders and or great, great streaks by Cincinnati Bengals players. Trey Hendrickson gets a sack in 10 straight games. Um, and uh, so there's the link in the live chats for you there. Dude is, do you remember when people were all aflame about, oh, this guy was just a waste of money. He's not gonna. He's not gonna be what Carl Lawson was, and he's just uh, you know he he has cleanup sacks and nothing more. This guy is dominating, dominating. And if you go look at a great play, if you follow Matt Minnick on Twitter, he has a play where he highlights on film where Hendrickson chases down a, you know, a, a runner laterally and, and makes a tackle for loss. Just a great hustle play. He had 13 and a half sacks last season. Um, he entered with 12 and a half in this one. Now he's got 13 writing a nine game uh, sack streak. And then of course, if he gets a sack next week against the Baltimore Ravens, as you can see here by Jay Morrison of the athletic, it's an NFL record. NFL record. So uh, when you're talking about NFL record and an edge defender and a guy in his first year of a major free agency contract for the Cincinnati Bengals, that is huge because that also the Bengals have been free agency averse in terms of outside players. And when they have, you know, I know they got burned a little bit with, with the Waynes deal, but when you see Mike Hilton playing well, when you see Chidobe Awuzie playing well, when you see Trey Hendrickson playing well, Larry Ogunjobi, BJ Hill, these guys, that as a franchise sends you a message that we're going to, we're going to keep being busy. We're going to keep adding pieces on the outside draft and develop. Yes, but keep adding pieces on the outside. So Good stuff there. And then, of course, we've got, uh, man, I, I don't think he likes Money Mac or uh, Kick Fearson. I don't know what he likes. But regardless, the dude is awesome. And the Bengals would not have won the game yesterday if not for his heroics. The 58-yarder to end the half, as I mentioned, that was a big six-point swing. Um, so... Here's the link here from cincyjungle.com. Making Bengals history did Evan McPherson. And what history is that? He is a, it's a franchise record, the 58 yarder. 
And uh, by the way, John, John Breach talking about it from CBS Sports. His dad uh, is obviously one of the best kickers in Bengals history, Jim Breach. Um, so he's liking that about the longest field goal in history. And then he's got 10, 10 field goals of 50 or more yards this year, does McPherson, 10. And I believe he is one away as well from the NFL rookie record of 50-plus yard kicks. I'd have to double-check that. But huge, 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 huge season from the rookie kicker. There have been a couple of misses, and I know a couple of them came in one game in the Green Bay game, but he has played very, very well and been a huge addition to the special teams. And you know what? Uh, Kudos to Darren Simmons. Because Darren Simmons' unit had probably the worst possible day, including a miss by McPherson last week uh, that you could you could think of, and they came back, they they remedied it, and one week later, when they needed outstanding special teams play in a tough game, they got it, and that's why Darren Simmons is who he is and is as respected as he is, despite the issues last week. Um, so, kudos kudos to him and to his unit for making making plays here. All right. So let's keep it rolling. We've got just a, uh, a bit more of Bengals news, and we're going to get to AFC North, et cetera. Um, just kind of a quick, cool tidbit here. Joe Burrow is your top PFF quarterback as it currently stands through 14 games played. So he is the highest graded quarterback in 2021 is Joe Burrow. Cool graphic there. QB1. Um and that obviously, I think he was jostling a bit up there with Tom Brady, et cetera. Tom Brady had a rough game last night, as you uh, probably not as mu- as tough as the Microsoft Surface tablets had that he was holding, but he had a tough game, and maybe that affected some things. But uh, Burrow just keeps playing efficient football, and uh, you know, again, uh, did not turn the ball over, which was which was huge. So. Um, that is just some fun news. If you are a PFF data geek, that will definitely make you pretty happy. Now we'll get to some injury stuff and different, different updates coming up here. Uh, before we do, I want to tell everybody, we've got a lot of live listeners. It must be, you guys must be taking it easy for the work week going into the holiday. I love it. Also, we, we get a lot of interest after uh, post-game wrap-ups and stuff, too. So good to see all these live listeners. It's awesome. And I want to tell all of you about our partnership with Symbol. And Symbol, of course, if if for some reason you don't know, if you've been watching this show or listening to this show and for some reason do not know about Symbol, you got to check it out. S-I-M-B-U-L-L.com slash O-B-I is the website address. And you go there, you have some fun because you can invest in teams, whether it's the Cincinnati Bengals or a different team, like they are stocks, shares of stocks, et cetera. You can go and do that. Now, whether it's short-term play, long-term play, or if it's not even the Bengals, if it's not even the sport of football, you can invest in another team that you see either short or long-term potential and make some money on, on their platform. Now, what you, what you got to do, though, is you got to go over there and you got to use the promo code OBI because for the first three months that you tinker around with their platform, they will cover up to $500 of your money. Meaning if you open an account, deposit money in it and start doing some things, making some investments, either you're losing money or you're just not satisfied with the product or what have you, they will cover a, up to $500 of your money back in the first 90 days when you use the promo code OBI. That is how confident they are that you will enjoy their product, that you will be successful in making money and investing in teams like their stocks with Symbol. Symbol.com slash OBI. Use the promo code OBI and take advantage of that nice incentive that they have for our listeners there. Good stuff. And a lot of people, when we went, when we first partnered with them, you know, a lot of people invested in the Bengals and they are looking like some savvy, savvy investors at this point in time. So um, that is uh, something you got to go check out. Go check out Symbol for sure. All right. Now, the Bengals, unfortunately, in the past few weeks have been hit a little harder than they have been in the earlier part of the season with injury. Yesterday, we saw Joe Mixon leaving the Broncos game with an injury, really tried to tough it out, left once, came back, ankle injury, 
I mentioned there was something that looked like it was going on with the knee. I don't know if that is the case. He left the game with an ankle injury. Um, and didn't, Zach Taylor, as of late yesterday, did not give an update on the severity of Mixon's injury. It sounds like they will probably let it rest this week. Um, I, he's not a guy that, you know, he, I mean, he, he takes a lot of contact. Uh, he has missed some time in the past, but when it's minor stuff, uh, he tends to come back pretty quickly, does Mixon, um, you know, really, really had, a, had to fight for some tough yards yesterday, um, but had, had his ankle – I don't know exactly how it happened, but if you noticed, the footing on that field was pretty rough. Uh, a lot of guys were slipping. Mixon in particular was was slipping on his cut, so I don't know if he rolled it and it just kind of kept rolling on him. He slipped a couple of times. I saw some receivers do it, so uh, you know he's got an ankle issue. Not sure about the severity of it, and and Zach Taylor didn't give an update of it as as of late yesterday. I'm seeing and hearing some things. You know, I, I didn't get to do. I, I'm on the air right now, so I haven't been able to see it, but I, I don't think it's anything overly serious. It's more of a monitor day to day thing from what I understand, but um, we'll, we'll see, we'll see more and we'll give you an update further on cincyjungle.com as more news develops there. Obviously they're going to let things play out during the week and see how it responds at practice and all kinds of different stuff. So um, something, something to note, something to monitor. Now let's, keep going and you know another guy that unfortunately had an injury was after the wacky play the fortunate part was that the end the other portion of this wacky play where he fumbled the ball again wherein he got hurt um that did not end up being a turnover but Khalid Kareem again I think I said what 12 snaps but made the most of them three huge plays in those 12 snaps uh, got the turnover, and unfortunately, he's he's been a guy that's had to battle injuries. Do you remember the preseason game that I think it was against the Dolphins? A uh, same deal. Um, shot out like with a great start to that, and then had to leave early with an injury. But I think he had a pressure and a sack to start that game. Um, you know, and now you know he's he's hurt again here. But um, unfortunately, uh, we were not. I, I think it was maybe the head neck area, maybe concussion type of stuff. So that's something to watch there, but he is going to be monitored and hopefully he's a guy that you can still get rotational snaps from going forward. Because like I said, he, he kind of makes the most of, of the snaps. It seems when he's out there, he's just been battling injuries and uh, down on the depth chart a little bit. So, uh, but he is going to be someone they will be monitoring as well throughout the week. And then of course, We've got uh, we've got the big game coming up against the Baltimore Ravens, and by by we I mean the collective we, not necessarily me on the field playing. <laughs> uh, let's let's go to this one on Cincy Jungle again. The Bengals odds are have been released for Week 16, and this one I. This is a hard one to, to gauge because Baltimore is so beaten up. Cincinnati stomped them in in Baltimore earlier in the season. And then you've got the other facet of the Bengals themselves have been up and down. And even though they got back to their winning ways, a 15 to 10 win against the Broncos doesn't necessarily inspire. I mean, it inspires confidence and we're, we're stoked about it and where the Bengals are right now, but it doesn't inspire, you know, the fact that the Bengals are going to, you know, host the Ravens and have another big blowout here. But uh, this is, let's see here, the early odds. I think the Bengals are, um, the Bengals are about two point five, two and a half point favorites right now. Uh, as they, yeah, the line has already dropped to 2.5 as this, as of this posting. So yeah, so two and a half points, uh, the Bengals are favored over the Jaguars. We don't know what's going on with Lamar Jackson, bone bruise in his ankle, but we don't know his status. Tyler Huntley is a guy that has played well in time that, that he's been out there, but is that just, you know, a product of the, the system they run and, or does he just, they don't have a lot of film on him. What's the deal there? 
you know, so, and now we also, there's a possibility Logan Wilson may be coming back either this week or the next couple of weeks here to, to end the season. We'll see what happens there. He's had a, you know, a couple of nice moments against Baltimore, something to monitor, but the Bengals are early favorites right now against the Ravens. So talking more about the Ravens, and this is from Charlie Goldsmith, and then we'll transition into AFC North news here. Again, a nice tidbit from Charlie on Twitter. Go follow him if for some reason you do not. You need to do that. But Charlie Goldsmith, Jamar Chase on the shorthanded Ravens. Quote, expect the unexpected on this game plan. Play the right rules and get open. If you remember, Jamar Chase had a breakout game against the Baltimore Ravens with the highlight being his little whirlpool move where he twisted around a couple of defenders and took it to the house, and the Bengals never really looked back after that play. Now, the Ravens are still, of course, without Marcus Peters. They are now without Marlon Humphrey. Um, they have been battered in the secondary, so they've got a lot of issues to work out there. Um, the Bengals will look to exploit that, I am sure. And depending on what happens with Joe Mixon, the Bengals are going to need to probably do a little bit of a different game plan this week. We'll see. Um, they've been altering it from week to week, as we know. But that is a quote from Jamar Chase via Charlie Goldsmith of the Inquirer. Now, let's transition to the Baltimore Ravens. And we've got a few bits of AFC North and NFL news. And then I think we are coming up against kickoff for the Browns and Raiders, which is a big game that we will all be having our eyes on uh, as the AFC North race continues to tighten. This is from... Ryan Mink of BaltimoreRavens.com, the Ravens playoff chances after the loss to the Packers. Um, so if you look here, according to Steve Kornacki uh, on Sunday Night Football on NBC, I think this graphic was also on uh, the telecast there. The Ravens have a 50% chance of making the playoffs and a 26% chance of winning the AFC North. And that is with them sitting as the eight seed currently Cincinnati as the four seed right now, as we all know. Um, and then, you know, things can change with what's going on with Cleveland there. Cincinnati has the upper hand because of the earlier win. If the Bengals beat Baltimore this next week, um, that's going to go a long way. That's going to go a long way, as will the win against Cleveland, because they do they have not beaten Cleveland this year and have had, what, one win against Cleveland in the Zach Taylor era? So uh, Baker Mayfield has really, really played his best football against the Bengals there. But right now, Ravens are 50% chance of making the playoffs and 26% chance of winning the AFC North, according to Steve Kornacki and Ryan Mink of BaltimoreRavens.com. So um, they're still in it. They still got a pulse. Uh, they have, and, and you know what? There are, I, I know there's kind of a little bit of uh jawing back and forth between Bengals fans and Ravens fans based on what happened in the earlier game where the Bengals won, but you have to credit Jim, uh, John Harbaugh rather, and the Ravens and weathering the storm and being in the playoff race with all of these injuries, all of these injuries. And you I mean, you go look at their IR list. It's a lot of, you know, Dobbins and Gus, you know, I mean, it's just Gus Edwards and uh, running backs, running backs, running backs and cornerbacks and secondary players. Lamar Jackson's missed a couple of games. I mean, it, it, the list just goes on and on and on. And somehow they are still eight and six in the thick of the playoff race. And it just is a testament to how they run their team. Uh, Harbaugh, I know we can question a lot of his decisions, particularly his go for two decision yesterday and the one a couple weeks ago. But uh, he, he, for the large part, gets him ready to play, gets him, gets him going. So that is. Uh, 50, that is a little bit on the Baltimore Ravens playoff chances. And then of course, just a different, this is on the, our sister site, uh, Baltimore Beatdown, Ravens week 15 rookie re report, relatively quiet, all, um, outings all around the, that's, that's one thing the Ravens need to start doing is drafting and developing receivers. They get a, a couple of you know, high, they use high picks on them and some of them end up making some plays and others kind of end up fizzling out here. But when you look at, you know, Rashad Bateman, it breaks down his day. Uh, Odafe away, uh, another, he got a, he got a flag in the game. 
Uh, ben Cleveland, I know a lot of Bengals fans liked him. So go check that out to see how the rookies did, but not um, not an overly outstanding day, it seems, by Ravens rookies in that game. And I know we all tried to keep a peripheral eye on that game with the Bengals one going on, but uh, you know, obviously the Bengals game was probably taking up the most of our attention. I mentioned this earlier. Um, well, we'll get to there in a sec. The let's let's go to the Steelers now. The Steelers, man, oh man, they pulled one out of yeah. I'll say it. The, their rear ends yesterday. I'll, I'll I'll say it politely. They pulled one out of their rear ends against the Titans. Titans had them down. God, what was it? Thirteen to three, I think. And then somehow the Steelers, who just keep emulating that Undertaker gif where he rises out of the coffin. They just keep doing it and they hang around and they hang around and they hang around. And for similar reasons, wherein we should at least compliment a rival in the Ravens and their ability to hang around and weather the storm on injuries. Everybody said that the Steelers were going to not, not be there at the end. They were going to fall away. The Bengals swept them and swept them convincingly, but here they are. They're there. Now, Steelers are 10-point underdogs against the Chiefs who they face coming up here. And this is on BehindTheSteelCurtain.com, another site in the SB Nation network that covers the Pittsburgh Steelers, much like Cincy Jungle. So they are 10-point underdogs against the Chiefs coming up here. will be interesting to see after the Ravens game what the Bengals line will be against the Chiefs themselves, but uh, not a lot of faith in the Steelers against the Chiefs there. And the Chiefs could deliver a knockout punch to the 7-6-1 Steelers, um, you know, depending on what happens with Cleveland later today, depending on what happens between Baltimore and Cincinnati. That could be a, a big knockout punch should the Steelers stumble, as they are predicted to, against the Kansas City Chiefs. So let's – this is just an interesting, more – um, more kind of opinionated article. Uh, and then, you know, it's from Jeff Hartman at Behind the Steel Curtain. At this point in the season, you have to question whether the Steelers' issues can be fixed. And this was as of this morning. Um, kind of an interesting one uh, with the, the um, result yesterday you kind of figured there'd be a little bit more of a positive vibe with the Pittsburgh Steelers. And um, there's not, uh, at least amongst their, their fan base and their, those that cover the team. So uh, now when you say, when we say fixed it, are they fit? Are the issues fixable? I don't know if they're really how long, how, how far into the future they are talking, but uh, go check out the article. Interesting stuff there from the behind the steel curtain folks. Now the Cleveland Browns getting set to kick off here and they are hurting and they are a team that is got a lot of people on the COVID list. Um, the Browns have activated safety, John Johnson, the third, and they elevate seven from the practice squad here. Those activated from the practice squad as COVID-19 replacements, cornerback, Brian Allen, uh, Froholt, the guard, Defensive end Joe Jackson activated from reserve COVID-19 was the safety John Johnson, as I mentioned. Uh, and then John Kelly, Herb Miller, Javante Moffitt, and Tedrick Thompson are all players activated from the practice squad as COVID-19 replacements. So they are making do with what they can are the Cleveland Browns as they get set to take on the Las Vegas Raiders. And who is starting at quarterback for the Cleveland Browns? Wouldn't you know, it's Nick Mullins, Case Keenum, and Baker Mayfield both having COVID. They will not. Um, they will not suit up here for the game against the Raiders. And Kevin Stefanski, the head coach, is also still in COVID protocols here. So that is they, they're shorthanded. They have they have some embedded excuses there. The league gave them two more days to maybe get some negative tests and whatnot. They were not able to do that. So 
Uh, Mayfield and Case Keenum are on the COVID-19 list, and Nick Mullins is the quarterback. Now, Nick Mullins was uh, was a guy that uh, he's played 19 regular season games. Um, I think he was with the 49ers, I believe. Um, Could be wrong about that. But uh, starting 16 of 19 regular season games, 64.5% completion rate, 4,714 yards, 25 touchdowns. 22 um 22 interceptions he was on the practice squad this year on the browns practice squad so um got yeah employment with 49ers um got some experience and has some experience against the 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 raiders as well so something to note there i'm seeing some updates from some of you in here in terms of maybe some recent updates on Joe Mixon and or Joe Bocci. Um, that is what we'll, we'll try and confirm that. Um, trying to look on Cincy Jungle and other places to see the injury report. I'm seeing Mixon could be out, you know, a couple, one to three weeks from our friend Mike Holbrook there and or uh, kind of, kind of expected, wanted to make sure it was confirmed. We're, we're hearing that, Bocce probably tore his ACL could be done for the year. So we got to get a little bit more on that, but um, that's unfortunately some things that are coming out. We will, like I said, keep it, keep it confirming and uh, have it, have it on cincyjungle.com for all the, the, the breaking news on that front. Now I mentioned this earlier. This is, this was a scary moment yesterday. Just I'll talk about it briefly because Bridgewater left the game with a head injury. He was being evaluated for a concussion at a local hospital, was carted off the field and put in an ambulance. Very scary moment, but he had feeling in extremities and all kinds of different stuff as he was leaving the stadium. And then uh, reports are saying that he was uh, doing better today um, and will be in the concussion protocol at this point. So that's something to note, something to keep an eye on with Teddy Bridgewater. Scary moment, but it sounds like he's doing better right now here is uh just some updates from the on nfl.com in terms of injuries and covid and all kinds of different stuff affecting rosters here it is uh as of monday december 20th brandon scherf is now on the covid list and that was the tuesday game is the is between washington and the eagles um and scherf has has tested positive for covid Missed four games with a knee injury earlier. Uh, Matthew Ioannidis, Cam Sims, Daniel Wise, Jonathan Allen, Montez Sweat. Um, So those were guys that were activated from the list. Um, They were removed from the list on Sunday. So they are back. Uh, And Sweat was actually from injured reserve. Uh, So that's kind of what's going on there. But uh, so, yeah, I mean, here's all kinds of stuff. Lamar Jackson will practice. Wednesday, we'll see what happens there as as the Bengals face them. Uh, I mentioned the Browns. Here's more on the Teddy Bridgewater release from the hospital. So you can kind of see here, there's a lot of just kind of scrolling news and all kinds of different stuff here with the with the list here on NFL.com. So you can check out a lot of that stuff. Corey Lindsley, uh, Joey Bosa, Austin Eckler, all on the COVID-19 list. Um, so Rams activated Bobby Evans and Troy Reader off of the COVID-19 list. Um, Jalen Waddle, Philip Lindsay are being activated by the Dolphins off of the COVID-19 list. Will Fuller is done for the year with a finger injury. Um, yeah. And Chris Godwin, and I'll, I'll share this as a standalone article here. Chris Godwin had tore a knee ligament and he is done for the year. A big, big loss for the Buccaneers. He is a valuable, valuable piece. It looks like the Buccaneers are getting back uh, Antonio Brown and all kinds of different things. So maybe that'll help him, but he tore his ACL in the Sunday night loss against the saints. Um, He's done for the season. Unfortunately, a talented guy and a valuable guy for Tampa Bay is gone for the year. Now let's end things we've done this a couple of times a mock draft a 22 mock draft we have we've had the distinct pleasure of not needing to talk about mock drafts on our podcast at this point in the year we're talking playoffs we're talking scenarios all kinds of different stuff we are not talking about mock drafts but there was one 
here that was put out by CBS Sports. And you can see here, Lin, Lin, Linderbaum here is a guy that uh, a lot of Bengals fans would like as an interior offensive line uh, addition. Kenyon Green's another one. He goes to Washington at pick 12. Uh, they've got the Steelers taking uh, Kenny Pickett out of Pitt, the, the quarterback. So the Pittsburgh kid would stay home. Cleveland getting a linebacker. Uh, Ravens getting secondary help. And we've got the – where do we have the Bengals here? At pick 25, um, Jackson Kirkland, an offensive lineman, 6'7", 3'10", out of Washington. Uh, he was a – one of those guys that, you know, is he tackle, is he guard at the next level? But that is uh, something. And I think that that might be an area that or cornerback is, has to be an area where the Bengals look to adjust and, and add this year. But that is who they have the Bengals taking at pick number 25 right now on CBS Sports in the 22 mock draft. Check it out. All right. Long show, marathon show, but we got to a lot. Usually I like to split up the post game and the happening headlines, but uh, just given the late nature of, of the game last night and all kinds of different stuff, decided to combine them again. We'll probably do a split off next week. And uh, I'm going to also maybe start adding in a couple of, of contemporaries, colleagues to join me for some of the post game stuff, potentially more in the happening headlines as well, just to kind of mix it up. But hopefully you guys are enjoying this stuff. If you do give us a thumbs up on the YouTube channel, leave a rating on the audio podcast, hopefully a good one. Give us some feedback and let us know how we're doing. You could subscribe to our YouTube channel right down there. You can click that little button down there and subscribe as well as clicking the bell to be notified when we go live, when new content is available. You got to like the Cincy jungle Facebook page. We stream live there and put up all of our articles there. And then of course go on your favorite audio streamer and subscribe to the Cincy jungle podcast, whether that's Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google podcasts, any of the major ones we are there. So check it out, subscribe, leave us a review. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. That's going to do it for today. We've got our other big show coming up Wednesday. Fantasy football coming up later this week with our buddy, the Orange Arrow, giving you some tips as the fantasy football playoffs roll on and all kinds of different stuff. But uh, thanks. Happy Monday to you. Happy holidays if we don't talk to you before. The uh, the two upcoming holidays coming up here. Happy holidays to all you folks. And uh, keep it to CincyJungle.com for all your news, opinions, analysis, all the good stuff. We'll treat you right and uh, make sure we've got all the, all the happenings there. Take care.